welcome to the Bikers Church Midrand Podcast. It's great to have you join us for this week's episode. We hope that you find this valuable for your daily life. Welcome and thank you for joining us. If you're joining us for the first time, we trust it'll be the first of many. Now the truth is we all love a good story, don't we? I love a good story. If you ask anyone who knows me, I'm an absolute movie nut. I love a great story. Now last week we spoke into the fact that we all write the story of our lives one decision at a time. That our decisions are more than just decisions. They are ultimately these things that shape our futures. And in this series, we're wanting to draw the connection between asking good questions and making better decisions. We're essentially pointing out that if we are willing to to ask good questions and then answer those questions honestly and then act on those answers courageously, that it'll lead to a life of fewer regrets. Now in week one, we kind of gave ourselves a bit of a foundation to work off of as we we took one of Solomon's sayings and asked you to memorize it with us, where he said that the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple, they keep going and pay the penalty. And then last week, we spoke into the integrity question, essentially just saying that whenever we need to make a decision to just stop, be honest with ourselves, and ask, am I being honest with myself, really? Is this really my motive? Is this really my intention? Why am I wanting to do this, really? This week, we're getting into the next question. And our next question is the legacy question. Now, before we get into the question, I think it's important for us to define what legacy really is. And I went and found a definition, and this is what it says. In simple terms, a legacy is passed from one generation to the next and and often refers to gifts of money or property. However, Leaving a personal legacy involves more than the financial assets you bestow on the younger generation. A lasting legacy is all about the actions you take during your life and the way those actions affect how people remember you. So when we talk about the legacy question We are asking ourselves, what is the story you want to tell? What is the story that I want to tell? When when this is nothing more than just a story to tell, what story do I want to tell? When it comes 
to my relationships, when it comes to my education, when it comes to my finances, when it comes to my family, when it comes to my home life, my kids, when it comes to my workspace. Like, what is that story that I want to tell the day that it is nothing more than just a story to tell? It was Andy Stanley in his book, Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. And if you haven't got the book by now, I highly recommend that you do. Where he said this, he said, The decisions that we make in the valleys are nothing more than a story we tell on the other side. Now I'm going to shoot straight with you. The first time I read that statement, I didn't agree with it. Because I considered areas of my own life where, where I'd gone through stuff where it felt like it had far more weight than just a story to tell. There was still hurt. There was still pain. There was, I felt like the decisions that had been made carried consequences. And that's kind of the point, is that those consequences will linger in our story. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized how true that statement really is. Ladies and gentlemen, what story do we want to tell with our lives? Now, when we allow our emotions and our appetites, as we spoke into in week one, when we allow our emotions and our appetites to drive our decision-making process, we end up on the immediate instead of focusing on the ultimate. What do I mean by focusing on the immediate? Focusing on the immediate means that I go to what is instantly gratifying, instantly satisfying. What's going what's gonna to give me the, desi- the, the desired result right now instead of focusing on the ultimate? And what's the ultimate? The story that this life will tell. You see, we all want to be able to tell our whole story. Isn't that the truth? We all want to be able to get to a point in our lives one day where we sit down with our loved ones and we're able to tell them the whole story and we don't have to skip chapters and we don't have to skip sentences and we don't have to skip parts of the story because we're really, really embarrassed about that part of the story. And the truth is we all want to be the hero in the story. No one wants to be the villain in the story. No, we want to be the hero of our story. (coughs) The truth is, we're inclined not to tell those parts of our story that we regret. We, We don't want to tell the parts of the story where we allowed our emotions and our appetites to drive the 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 decision making process to the point where you ate it, you drank it, you smoked it, you crashed it, (laughs) where you dated it, moved in with it, divorced it, uh, bought it, rented it. And for our internet dating generation, to just put it in short, (laughs) you ended up swiping right when you really should have swiped left. See, we don't want to tell those parts of our story. We don't want to include those parts of our story. So we need to stop and we need to ask ourselves, when this is nothing but a story to tell, 
what is the story that I want to tell? Now, there's a beautiful illustration that really drives this point home, a beautiful moment in history of a, of a, 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 a young Hebrew boy by the name of Joseph. And around 1850 before Christ, he, he found himself in a really awkward position um, where he was the son of a father who loved him the most out of his 11 brothers, uh, purely because he was the son of his father's favorite wife. Uh, side note, you should never have a favorite wife. Unless she's your only wife, then it's actually very okay. Um, but here he is, and he's this, he's this favorite of his father's. And for this reason, his brothers absolutely hate him. And one day, while he's at home and all his brothers are out caring for the flocks because he's far too special to do that, uh, his brother pulls him aside, his dad pulls him aside and says to him, my boy, go and check in with your brothers, see how they're doing and take them some supplies. So Joseph does it, he heads out to his brothers and as he's approaching his brothers, his brothers actually see him coming and as they see him coming, they start to make some decisions. His brothers look at him and they decide that they are going to kill him purely because they are jealous of him. Now stop for a moment and just imagine you and I could kind of drop into that conversation and just ask them some good questions. Just stop and ask them, gentlemen, do you really want the story of your life to resemble the fact that you were so jealous of your brother that all of you older guys ganged up on your younger brother and killed him. Like, is that really the story that you want to tell? Fortunately, in the moment, there was one of the brothers who it just didn't sit well with him as they were making these decisions. And, and, and he decided to kind of uh, chime in and, and, and changed their decision to, to kill him. And they chose, he, 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 he got them to decide, we're not going to kill him. We're just going to throw him in a pit and then sell him as a slave. Secretly, Reuben was waiting for a moment where he could rescue his brother out of, the, out of the pit, out of the dry well, and get him home to his dad. Clearly, he was caught napping on the job because a moment came where he wasn't around and his brothers ended up selling him off to slave traders. And right there in that decision, in that moment, these brothers ended up making a decision that would leave them with the story of their lives being that they are liars for life. I think it's safe to say for you and for me, let us never be in a position where we make a decision that leaves us as liars for life. So Joseph gets sold off into slavery and he gets bought by a man by the name of Potiphar. He's brought into Potiphar's house as a slave. 
And right there, Joseph has some decisions that he needs to make. Joseph has to start deciding, how am I going to approach this? What decisions am I going to make? What story am I going to tell? Am I just going to be another slave? Am I just going to behave like all other slaves and do just enough to get by, to get away with it? (laughs) Or am I going to be a different slave? Am I going to embrace the slave gig? Am I going to be the best slave that I possibly can be and give this moment my best and do the best with that which is put in my hands? And ultimately, that is what Joseph does. And as Joseph makes this decision to be the best slave that he can be, to do the best with what he has in his hands, Potiphar notices him. His master notices him. And his master notices that everything that Joseph touches turns into gold. And ultimately, Potiphar promotes Joseph. And in fact, the author of Genesis says this to us. He says to us, So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't have to worry about anything except what kind of food to eat. In short, the only other concern that Potiphar ended up with was walking to the fridge and picking a meal. That's it. The rest he entrusted to Joseph. Now, thanks to Joseph's decision of going all in, Joseph ended up running Potiphar's household. Isn't that a story worth telling? The story that says, hey, I was kidnapped, I was sold into slavery, I was a victim, but I chose not to behave like a victim. I chose to do the best that I could with that which was put in my hands. And that is the story that I choose to tell. But... Joseph's story intersected with someone else's story at the same time. Mrs. Potiphar. And the, the, the narrator of the story kind of, kind of sets up the next scene with this line where he says, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And let's just say that Mrs. Potiphar noticed and she wanted Joseph. So Mrs. Potiphar starts pursuing Joseph and, 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 and propositioning him and keep asking him to come and have sex with her. And Joseph is left with another decision to make. What do I do now? Do I make decisions that honor God? Do I make decisions that tell the story that, that I want to ultimately be able to tell my loved ones one day? Or... Do I choose the story of the adulterous relationship with my boss's wife? So in that moment, Joseph stands before Potiphar's wife and he tells her his story. 
It's like, hey, this is what's important to me. And he says, I was sold by my brothers into slavery. I was, I was bought by your husband who treated me with kindness and promoted me as I did well. And there is nothing in his household that he has not put under my charge except for you. <laughs> and there's no way that I could do this to my master. But part of his wife, doesn't take no for an answer. She grabs at him. He runs away. She grabs his cloak and ultimately accuses him of attempting to rape her. And Joseph is thrown into prison at the age of 20. And while he's in prison, again, the author of Genesis says this. He says, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him unfailing love. Now you and I might look at that and go, that's not really how I would describe the Lord being with me. Like the Lord being with me ends up in me not being in prison. It ends up in not, me not being falsely accused of rape. No, the Lord being with me means that I'm back home with my father, with my brothers, uh, having a good old time. That's the Lord being with me. Like how does this line up? Ultimately, Joseph was just caught in the wake of someone else's decisions, like his dad's decision to have a favorite wife, his brother's decisions to hate him and sell him, and part of his wife's decisions to falsely accuse him. Like, how's this, the Lord being with him? But you see, even though it appeared that Joseph's decisions hadn't led to good outcomes, God wasn't done with Joseph just yet. And Joseph's story wasn't over just yet. And no matter what you're going through right now, ladies and gentlemen, or how unfair life may feel and seem and appear to you right now, your story isn't over yet. And just like Joseph's story and just like his brother's stories, you get to write your story one decision at a time. So here Joseph is, he's in prison. And as he's in prison, he's left with another decision to make. What story will I choose? Be a prisoner like any other prisoner? Or will I be the best prisoner that I possibly can be? And as per usual, Joseph chooses to be the best that he can be. He chooses the best story possible. Eight years later, Joseph gets two brand new inmates into the prison as Joseph has been noticed by the warden and promoted. Yeah, he sits with these two inmates and they... He, he notices one day that they that they really upset and he asks them what's wrong and they say man we've had these bad dreams and Joseph says hey interpreting dreams is God's business tell me your dream and the first guy was was Pharaoh's cupbearer and he relays this dream to Joseph and in return Joseph interprets the dream to him and it's a favorable uh, interpretation. Hey, in three days time, you'll be reinstated to your old position. Uh, but in that moment, Joseph harnesses the moment and says, but please 
This is my story. And he tells him his story again, what's most important. And after he's told him his story, he said, when you're back in Pharaoh's courts, please don't forget me. The cupbearer agrees. With the favorable result of the first interpretation, the cook comes along and says, hey man, I also had a dream. This is my dream. He lays out his dream. And by the time the dream was done, I'm fully convinced that Joseph was probably tempted to say, yeah, I really didn't get anything from that. But he looks at him and he says, this is the interpretation of your dream. In three days time, the king will take your head and he will kill you. And three days later, Joseph's interpretations come true. The cupbearer is restored to his previous position back in the courts of Pharaoh. And the cook is killed by Pharaoh. And unfortunately, the cupbearer does not remember Joseph. In fact, two whole years pass without a thought of Joseph ever entering into his mind. Until Pharaoh has some disturbing dreams. And no one can figure them out. No one can interpret them for Pharaoh. And all of a sudden, the cupbearer remembers the Hebrew young man in prison who interpreted his dream for him. And he reminds Pharaoh of a falling out that him and Pharaoh had a couple of years ago and how he sent him to prison and how this young Hebrew uh, interpreted this dream for for him and how the three days later this dream became a reality. So Pharaoh calls for Joseph and after a shower and a shave and a haircut, uh, Pharaoh brings Joseph into his courts. Again, Joseph tells Pharaoh that interpreting dreams is God's business. Pharaoh tells Joseph his dreams and Joseph interprets them, essentially just saying, there's going to be seven years of plenty, bumper crops, and there's going to be seven years of famine. And that is what your two dreams essentially mean. It's a warning. But Joseph doesn't stop there. He kind of doesn't skip a beat and he just says, hey, if I was in your shoes, I would appoint someone wise to oversee this process, to administrate this process for you, to ensure that when the seven years of famine comes, that there'll be plenty of grain for the years where there's nothing. And Pharaoh looks at the room and says, is there any man as wise as this in all of Egypt? And in that one meeting, Joseph goes from prisoner to prime minister right there. And with his new title and with his new responsibilities, Joseph did what only Joseph could do. And that is his best. Joseph did his best with what was handed to him. Seven years passed. There's this massive grain shortage in the land after seven years of plenty. And his family back home reach a point of desperation. And his dad sends his brothers to Egypt as they've heard that there's grain for sale in Egypt. And when they get to Egypt, they just happen to arrive at a grain depot the day that, that the prime minister, their brother, is there to inspect that depot. And instantly Joseph recognizes his brothers. 
Now, if you've never read this story, I really want to encourage you to go and read the story. It's a phenomenal story. For the sake of time, I'm going to jump ahead to this point where Joseph again is faced with a decision to make. He, he had to choose which story am I going to tell. Am I going to tell a story of revenge? Or am I going to tell a story of redemption? Like which story am I going to tell? And in that moment, he, he reveals his identity to his brothers. <laughs> and the narrator of their life story in, in Genesis 45 says to us that they were terrified. I think it's an understatement. You see, because they were convinced that Joseph would decide unto them as they decided unto Joseph. But you see, Joseph had decided years earlier to live a story worth telling. He'd been deciding a good story for 13 years, and he wasn't about to ruin it now with one final revenge chapter. So right there, he stands in front of his brothers and as he did with Potiphar's wife and as he did with a cupbearer, he stands in front of his brothers and he tells them his story. And once he's told them his story, he embraces them. And instead of a story of revenge, he chooses to cap it off with a story of redemption. And so in addition to rescuing the nation, he also rescues the families of his father, his brothers, and, and their families combined. And he moves them all to Egypt where they come and live as guests of the prime minister. What good decisions. What a great story. And that's why we still remember it to this day. You see, revenge stories, <laughs> there are plenty of those. It's what we expect. But it's when we make decisions that go against the grain of what we expect that we start to love stories worth remembering and worth repeating. So, for a moment, let's just consider the life, the decisions that, that these two groups of people made. Joseph's brothers chose, they chose to make a decision that would leave them as liars for life. But Joseph, he chose a story that would honor God and a story that he could tell in its entirety and like Joseph and like his brothers you and I are writing the stories of our lives one decision at a time one day at a time think about that for a moment what do you want to take out of the story of Joseph today do you want to find yourself in a place where you're making decisions that leave you as a liar for life? Or do you want to make decisions, start making decisions that, that, that 
starts to write a story that honors God and a story that you can be proud of and that you can tell in its entirety. You see, every decision that you and I make will be a permanent part of our life story. Every relational decision, every financial decision, every professional decision and the outcomes that those decisions have become a permanent part of our stories. And we've all lived long enough, folks, for us to have chapters and phrases and parts of our stories that we wouldn't want to tell. But from here on out, Maybe your next step is just to decide to engage with this question that asks, what is the story that I'm wanting to tell? If you're in the middle of making a decision right now, I just want to ask you to stop for a moment and just ask yourself, out of all the available storylines, which one do I want as a permanent part of my life story? What story do you want to tell? What story do you want told about you? The good news is you write the story of your life one decision at a time. I encourage you, go write a good one. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that you do not give up on us, Lord, that no matter whether we have chapters in our lives that we'd love to forget, that there are chapters in our lives that we'd love to skip over one day when we tell the story of our lives or when the story of our lives are told. Lord, I thank you that you write stories of redemption. Lord, that you, that you engage with us and, and prompt our consciences to just ask, hey, with all the options in front of you, what is the story that you want as a permanent part of your life story? Lord, and I pray for courage for us to act on that and to make decisions that write a God-honoring story. Lord, we commit these stories of our lives into your hands, knowing that we can trust you. And Lord, I thank you that you give us the courage to write the best stories that we possibly can as we make really good decisions by asking really good questions. We love you and we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being with us today. We'll see you next week. We trust that you found this message valuable. For more information on who we are or how you can get involved, please check out our website at bikerschurchmidrand.co.za or connect with us through social media on Facebook or Instagram. Beyond that, have a great day.